you've got hard assets and the market collapses, you've still got hard assets. Rents aren't going down. Rents are going up. People I know where landlords are requiring three times monthly income to just rent a place. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. Hello. Heather, um, Heather, it's 72 degrees in um, Charleston today. I just wanted to start the show off with that. <laughs> so, Thanks, Ron. Yeah, well, shorts I and a t-shirt over here today. Hey, we got a special show today because the guy you just heard talking is a really good friend of mine and Heather's. Man, I've known John. How long have we known each other? It has to be like oh my god, it has to be over a decade. It's got to be. I was going to say 15 15 years or something like that. Great friend of mine, incredible knowledge in many different fields. But John Golane, he's the owner and founder with he and his wife Lisa of. Mountain West IRA. I mean, they, they've been doing the self-directed IRA game for, I mean, for a long, long, before I met him. And then before that, he was in the securities industry and worked at Morgan. I think it was Morgan Stanley, right? Yeah, Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Morgan Stanley for many, many years. He knows the market. He's the guy I call when I have questions about the market. <laughs> um, in addition to that, he understands the IRA game like no one else in the industry. I'd like to say too, in addition, I mean, Heather, we've worked with nearly every self-directed IRA company that there is Mm -hmm. in the country Um, and hands down Mountain West IRA is not only the best in the way of educating their people and everything else like that, but also the most important thing to us. And I think to our clients is service, man, it's so much easier to get things done with John, his team, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. That was an awesome introduction. (laughs) <laughs> we're excuse so my, glad you joined us <laughs> it's, uh, excuse my nasalness just getting over the vid so <laughs> the vid that's new john i we just heather wasn't it we just did the uh covid cast last week i think yeah because I, yeah, I was doing the show on the tail end of covid last week john so this is just an extension of that i sure. feel great though i do Let's- too i just sound a little nasally <laughs> So, That's awesome. John, I'm excited to have you here today because we want to talk a little bit about self-directed IRAs, number one, just kind of go through the basics. And then I'd love to chat with you just a little bit about what in the world is going on, the markets and things like that, and just take a temperature of what is happening and why people would want to use their self-directed IRA in certain ways. And then Heather and I are just going to pummel you with questions. So that's what we should do. So tell everybody what a self-directed IRA is. In a nutshell, self-directed IRA, all IRAs and 401ks are self-directed. So if you have an IRA, whether it's a Fidelity or Morgan Stanley, my old firm, or someone independent like us at Mountain West IRA, all IRAs are self-directed. It just means that you get to decide what investments you want in that IRA. What we do that's different than the other firms, we don't license and register through the NASD, National Association of Security Dealers, or the SEC. So we can put assets that are non-marketable securities in IRAs for you, whereas they can only use marketable securities like stocks, bonds, REITs, things like that, public REITs, 
you can actually buy a piece of real estate, such as a rental property or apartment complex or whatever, place it in your IRA and all income goes into your IRA tax deferred or tax free if it's a Roth IRA. And they're all tax deferred, but comes out tax free in a Roth IRA at the end. Very cool thing about that is if you have real estate and you've got rental income coming out, you can get tax free income. As we know, anybody who's got any kind of income this year understands that the uh, new administration has already increased taxes by fiat, by executive order, tremendously on small business people. So if you're a small business person, your taxes have already gone up 10 to 15% this year before Congress even votes on anything. So the question is, how important is it to tax defer and how important is it to get tax-free status? Well, right now it's vital because we know that Congress is trying to work on getting rid of the tax-free status by 2029 to 2032. So if you're grandfathered in, you've got it. So never has it been more important than right now to look at tax-free status, such as a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, because you can have up to $10 million inside of that 401k or Roth without having to mandatorily distribute and pay taxes. The uh, new laws, yeah, the new crazy. laws after 10 million, they're going to make you distribute and pay taxes on what you thought was tax free. So it is a breach of contract with the American people what's going on right now. But we're not going to talk about that. John, I was going to say, you and I, if we go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we should I probably will, do just a whole other episode on that. Yeah, for different episode. But I want people to understand that never has it been more important. If you're going to do real estate and an IRA, do it while you've got tax-free status. So that's what my point was there. Yep. So you can put anything in an IRA except antiques, artwork, classic cars, alcohol, They frown on alcohol because somehow that's not an investment. It gets drunk. So uh, (laughs) and life insurance, right? Life insurance insurance contracts. What are it's for personal use, John? That's why it's a personal use item. That's right. (laughs) Not that people haven't tried before, but uh, they frown on that. But real estate, real estate investments are excellent because you can also do lending on real estate and IRAs. A lot of people don't know this. If you've got real estate inside an IRA the IRA protects that real estate from creditors. And there are loans out there called non-recourse loans that allow your IRA to take a loan. It does not go against your credit report. It goes against the property. It's issued like a piece of corporate lending. So it's based on the property's ability to pay rents and pay the mortgage off those rents. And the nice thing about it is that your IRA gets to take a write-off on losses. So if you've got losses due to depreciation or interest expense or repairs and maintenance to a property, whatever portion is borrowed on when you sell the property, and if you buy another property, it can be carried forward to new properties. So if you've got a capital gain on your property, those losses go against the capital gain. And you said, I know what your next question is now. Wait a minute. I thought you said everything was tax-free. Well, if you have a loan, it's not your money in the IRA. It's the bank's money. So that portion, let's say it's 50%, is taxable. Right. But all of your interest deduction, depreciation, repairs, maintenance go against that capital gain. Hey, John, that, so on that loan. On that, I've never 
in 15 years ask you this question. Are you able to specially allocate all of those deductions to the portion that is for the loan? Well, or is it, it split if it's 50-50? Much- yeah, it's 50-50. So if you've got mm-hmm. a 50% loan to value, it's 50% is of all those are deductible. The rest aren't because that's tax-free. Okay. But while we're talking about lending, here's the crazy thing. And this law only exists inside of IRAs and 401ks. It exists nowhere else within the tax code. It is a special little quirk that, of course, Congress really likes because they invest their IRAs and their 401ks in real estate. And that is that if you put a loan inside of a 401k or IRA and you pay that loan off before you sell the property, so you pay it off, you wait 12 months. 12 consecutive months, and then sell the property, it's as though you never had a loan on the property. What? So you can take your deductions all the way through on the property and then sell it. And it's as though all the money came from your IRA. So therefore, there's no capital gain. You get tax-free status on 100%. It's huge. I didn't know that. You don't do that anywhere else. So follow-up question then, because, and this is, I told you all. I told you all. So now here I'm learning something new and I've known John 15 years. Yeah. We spoke countless times together about on this. stage about this. <laughs> no clue that this actually existed. So John, real quick, that means if I've got $200,000 cash sitting in my account, I've got a $100,000 loan on a piece of property, I can take $100,000 of the money inside of my IRA. I can pay off the loan, Yep. wait 12 months, Yep. sell the property. Yep. Wow. No UBIT tax. Yeah. No UBIT. No UDFI or UBIT. Now, and here's what we've had clients do <laughs> with this. We've had clients where they have a couple properties in their IRA and they will sell one. And instead of reinvesting that money, they'll pay off the other. And then they get the deductions and depreciations on the one they sold. And they take the other mm-hmm. money, pay off the other, and then wait 12 months, sell the other property. And then it's all tax free. Wowza, that's awesome. I do have a follow-up question that's on the same vein. Ron, did you have a question about that before I... Okay, go ahead. I'm switching gears slightly, but on the loan piece, non-recourse loans are a little more expensive loans, right? They have a little higher rate and a little higher down payment or a lower loan to value. And a lot of our clients are like, oh, well, I'll just use my cash funds instead of my IRA funds because of that. But I think one distinction that I've tried to explain, and it's really difficult to explain, is that you're just basically, you're doing a 20-year amortization loan Mm -hmm. instead of 30. And so a lot more of your return, instead of coming in the form of cash flow, is coming in the form of principal reduction. The numbers are almost the same, is the crazy part. (laughs) Well, actually, it works more crazier than that. Tell me. Um, For example, let's say you have $100,000, you put it in the stock market. Whatever that capital gain is on that stock is what your rate of return is. So mm-hmm. if it's 10%, it's going to take 7.2 years to double that money, right? Yep. Right. 72. So if you have 100000 in an IRA and you buy, you can get non-recourse lending as much as 65%. So let's say, well, let's even go 60%. Let's say you buy two properties with 60% loans, now instead of having $100,000 worth of investments, you have, let's see, 1440 is 80, you have $400,000 of investment 
on that 100,000, but you've only put 80,000 in. So all of your gains, so let's say you earn the same 10% on the real estate over 7.2 years. So instead of earning going from 100 to 200, you go from 100 to close to 400,000 with the same $80,000 because that rate of return and real estate historically over the last 50, 60 years, even through the really bad time, which Ron, you remember, we were doing all those seminars together and it looked like the end of the world. Real estate has <laughs> consistently produced at a cash on cash return of about three to 6%, which means once you add rents onto that, you're at about 12 to 14% return because that's just the real Mm -hmm. estate itself, right? You can't get rents on a stock. So plus principal reduction, John, because you're you're on a 20 year. That's right. I mean, I'm not even adding that Mm -hmm. in. I'm giving you a scenario that's not way out there, but you're talking about a stock IRA going in 7.2 years from 100,000 to 200,000, a real estate IRA with the same money in going from 100,000 to 400,000 with less risk because you have a hard asset versus a marketable security, which at the whim of investors and of the Fed doing things could change at any moment, right? Yeah. As- or a CEO doing something stupid, right. a la CNN could be- <laughs> Let's not get started. We won't go there either, John, <laughs> but I mean, a CEO can do something really stupid, tank a yeah. stock. Yeah. You yeah. don't have anything to do with it. Nothing happened to the actual company. Just some CEO said something stupid, you know? Yeah. Or made a stupid decision, you know? You know, you've got that situation right now with Facebook. And of course they're trying to figure out, they're saying it's all kinds of things, but they lost a half a million users last month. Mm -hmm. So that Facebook, that's been this trade wind stock the whole time, all of a sudden the winds have changed. So in real estate, even if you have a collapse of the market, like we did in 2007, and you look at what happened, if you bought at the height before 2007, as a matter of fact, Ron, you may remember the property I used to always talk about in our classes. I I bought a property in Roth IRA that was at the height and that Oklahoma property, and I sold it. So when did we sell that property about 2017, about 2017. So about 10 years later, and our actual rate of return with a loan on it, I believe our loan was 60-40, was somewhere around 33 or 34% per annum for 10 years between rents, appreciation, yep. reduction of the loan, and the worst year taxes we paid on that property through UBIT, I think our highest year was $200. Crazy. So, yeah. So it's, it's crazy. It just works. It's hard to explain on a podcast, especially since I don't I have pictures in front of me, but yeah. it works. And Heather, you know, and Ron, you know, and I know we've done it ourselves with our own properties and it we've seen how it works. We've seen that time value of money and that compounding and what happens. And I think, John, the point that you made that I don't want to gloss over is that you just are sharing an example of a property that wasn't one of the ones that people bought in 2010. It wasn't bought in 2008, 2009. When the right. I mean, it, the it, it wasn't one of the ones where people no. lucked out and bought at the right time. You bought at right. the exact first time. If you were actually, you know, knew when the market height was going to be, this property was at the exact wrong time. That's, and it that's still right. yeah. outperformed almost every other asset class that's out there. That's right. Um, 
That is uh, correct. It's remarkable. And I think that's the thing that people don't, people get hung up on a return too, John. They, they get yes. caught up on cash yeah. flow or they'll get yeah. caught up on, well, I don't care about cash flow. I only care about appreciation yes. or something like that. And if you look at the totality of the investment over time, it's almost hard to believe how good they actually yeah. do. Yeah. True. It's if you don't focus, and I tell investors this, it doesn't matter because we'll always have in classes an investor will say, when's a good time to buy? When you're talking about real estate, right now is always the right time to buy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because in the history of this country, because in our constitution, land cannot be taken away from you, your property cannot be taken away. There has never been a time in our history when land hasn't outperformed between appreciation and cash flow and tax write-offs and ability to double and quadruple due to lending. There's never been a time in this country, even people would say, well, what about the Great Depression? Yes, during the Great Depression, it took about 15 years for everything to come back instead of 10. But same time period, 29, it took until 1952 for the stock market to get back where it was. It was the one time in history when investments in this country did not perform at a norm. So real estate was about 15 years. So that would be uh, about 44 and stocks were 52. And other than that, historically, real estate is a high performer. So if we could talk a little bit about why now with using your self-directed IRA, with given the current climate, the current economy, we've had a lot of clients in the last probably 30 days feel a little bit of a pause of what to do because <laughs> interest rates are going up and they, you know, are we at the height of the market or price is going to come down. And so I felt this kind of for fear pause. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me start this out as I've started out with every meeting with my employees. I was here when this happened before. I was alive and in business in 1979 when inflation was 12, 14%, when loans on houses were 15, 16%, when CDs paid 18%. I was alive. I lived through it. I was graduating college. I had already bought my first house. And I was in the business world. And I can tell you, it was miserable. Hmm. I wouldn't wish that amongst anybody to have to go through. It was horrible. And it lasted till about 1983. So when I came out of college, I had to go into a market that was the scariest market that the United States had seen since the 1940s. Hmm. And we're there now. So when I talk about this, I talk about this as though I relived it yesterday, because that's how vivid it is for me. And it's for real. And the hesitation is for real. And the pain that's about to happen is going to be real pain. And the first place it's going to happen, in my opinion, is the stock market, because the Fed must start increasing rates if they're going to get this inflation under control. And I know that the powers in the government are trying to put a bridle on the Fed. And I know the powers that be in the market, in the stock markets, in the SEC and the NASD are trying to put a bridle mm -hmm. on the Fed. And they're worried about it. And they're worried about the market crashing. 
In my opinion, it's overvalued right now and it needs to come down and it will start coming down when those rates happen. All of the big analysts, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, God, I'm trying to, Citigroup, I think, UBS, are the big analysts are all saying we need to have four interest rate bumps in 2022. Now, the brokers, of course, poo-poo that and say, no, we're not going to need bumps. Everything's fine. But for savvy investors, you know what I'm saying when I say this. We have four quarter point rate hikes in 2022. That market cannot stay where it's at. So the question for yourself is we're at the height of the market at 35, 36,000. And by the way, I believe the market's going to go to 50,000, but it ain't going to be the next four or five years. It's going to be after that. So when I look at it and I compare it to 79 through 83, and I compare what's happening now with oil prices, man, we're, we just went over 90 bucks a barrel for oil. I remember when that happened, when it went from, God, it was down at like, I don't know, 10, $12 a barrel in the late 70s. And the whole OPEC thing happened and it shot up to about 40, 50 a barrel then. We're talking 50 years ago. So oil has just reached, it's gone over 90. I noticed today, this doesn't help anything. And I'm going to get out of the politics of it. And I'm going to get out of the, well, we're changing to a renewable economy. It's like, tell yourself whatever you want, but here's reality. The world works on oil. Yeah. And Russia has all the power and Russia's thinking about starting a war. That collapses economies. It won't collapse our economy. We're big enough to sustain it, but you bet it'll put a dent in it while the Fed's trying to get inflation under control. So you have geopolitical worldwide things happening while the Fed is trying to get inflation under control, while the administration Congress is trying to spend more money, which puts us in a more inflationary situation. It's nothing short of craziness. So what do you do? Well, for my dollar, you go where the uh, protected assets are. So in real estate, you've got hard assets. So if you've got hard assets and the market collapses, you've still got hard assets. Rents aren't going down. Rents are going up. Mm-hmm. It's been a horrible year from rents. I can't tell you the number of people, my employees I've talked to, and people I know where landlords are requiring three times monthly income to just rent a place. And they've mm-hmm. jacked up rents 30, 40, 50% due to inflation, due to higher taxes. Yeah. You know, the higher property taxes around the country. Yep. All this makes a difference. And so rents aren't going down. It's not like rents all of a sudden are magically going to go down if the market crashes, but the market will sure come down. <clears throat> it so, did, they didn't last time. They didn't last time. Nope, market they, crashed. Market crashed in uh, 08 and rates, rent stayed stable. Rents, rents actually increased. And I mean, not crazy like they are now, but they actually went up and that's nationwide. It wasn't just in a few areas. It was yeah, literally yeah. everywhere. Rents went up. Yep. And it's, I just believe that we're in for a really rough, rocky couple of years. So if you've got the ability to withstand a couple of years and be in long-term assets, real estate protects that. Because there will be, when they start increasing rates on bonds, people will fly to safety. And that money's coming out of the stock market. So you have a choice. 
you can either leave your money in the stock market and let it ride down while people are flying to safety and bonds, or you can go to bonds where you're going to earn about 2% on 10-year treasuries, because right now we're at about 1.75, 1.78. So you go, and actually, if you go to buy one, you can't get over about 1.1 right now. But you go into long-term 10-year treasuries, which is as safe as it gets, 2%. Or you take the risk on a hard real estate asset on there's going to be appreciation or not, but you have stable rents. Um, And principal reduction and tax benefits that are pretty crazy. Cash. Even if you did all cash, the rents are what count. The rents, the appreciation is long-term, Right. But the rents are short-term cash. Yeah. They keep cash flow in, right? If you keep a stock portfolio and it drops 40%, and don't laugh at me, we just went through this in 2008, 9, 10. It dropped 40%. 50, I don't can't even I think the total I think it was, was almost 50. 70%. I remember doing a class, Ron. We did a class that was predicting. When the market was about 10,000, I said, I think the market's going down to 6,500. And within three or four months, it was at 6,500, 64 or something. As a matter of fact, it hit a low when we were doing a class one time in Utah. I remember the market yep. had hit that low that day. I remember that. <laughs> you remember that class? I do. Like, okay, I told you so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, if the market does do what it almost surely needs to do to create a stable non-inflationary economy and you've got if you've got assets that are producing rents you've got the ability to take those rents and time value of money put them back in the market while it's low month by month as it's going down and when it goes back up you make much more over the long term so you use your hard assets you use your real estate not only is an appreciation, long-term appreciation, but you use the cash flow to be in both markets. So Hmm. even if real estate slows down for a period of time and you can't sell it for five years or 10 years, where you want to sell it, you've now got the stock market coming back and creating much quicker returns. Yeah, that's really interesting. See what I mean? So, And that's a philosophy that I've used in my investing for decades. Hmm. Only yeah. makes sense. And if Cash you the, the, the real yeah. the problem, I remember John, I remember doing classes before, and you know, we would tell people, like, look, I remember doing the graph where you were teaching people that when the stock market crashes and it goes down 50%, yep. it has to go up, best. it has to go up a hundred percent for you to break even if you had your money in that's there. Right. That right. And, and that's without all the fees and everything else taken out. Right. right? So you got to do a hundred percent to get back there. Wow, I and, forgot about that graph. But that's yeah. And then over time, you know, if they do that over and over and over and over again, you can report an average return that looks really, really solid. And the reality of the situation is that the person yeah. made no money. Yeah. The only way really to make the money is to be able to buy at the bottom when it goes down, write it up, and then do it all over again. Yeah. Not... And nobody knows where the bottom is. Right. Or the top. Nice of, that's what's nice about cash flow is if you keep putting it in and write it down with little bits of money every month, then you come up much quicker. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. That makes a lot of sense, right? When you're... Yeah. I forgot about that slide. <laughs> but it's Very true. cool. The market goes down 25%. You have to make 50% to get back yeah. to zero. Back yeah. Even. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
if, a house goes down, if a house goes down 25% and you've got stable cash flow, it's the old story of if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, did it really fall? So if you've got mm-hmm. cash flow supporting that broken market, does it really matter? Does it yeah, really tell matter? people all the time, your, your house doesn't, your house doesn't have any feelings. It doesn't no. know its and feelings don't get hurt if the price goes down. The only way anyone's feelings get hurt is if you have to sell it at the bottom. Right. If you have to sell it at the bottom, then some feelings are going to get hurt. But yeah. other than that, yeah. you'll be fine. You'll be fine. My philosophy has always been, and Ron and I, Ron, you and I have talked about, and Heather, we've all talked about this, that just make sure you have enough cash available when the market goes down, mm-hmm. that you can buy down your loans to keep 20% equity and you'll never have to worry. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of our clients are buying at 20% down anyway, right? So they already have some equity to handle any kind of rough water. Well, and they're already going to have it with, if they do non-recourse lending, because non-recourse yeah. lenders are 35 to 40% down. Exactly. The market, the market could drop by half and you're still going to have 20% equity if mm-hmm. you're at 40% loan to value. Yes, exactly. Like I don't, personally, I don't do non-recourse lending with less than 40% down. But that's just a personal preference because I like, you know, to have a little bit of a cushion there just in yeah. case. Yeah. I always am amazed that people that go all in, like the past can never return. Mm-hmm. I'm living deja vu. I've <laughs> gone through what we're experiencing right now. It's been 40 years, right? Yeah. Most people don't remember this. I am reliving it like it was yesterday. And I talked to my clients about it, our clients about it. I talked to my staff about it. Uh, just how brutal it could be. Yeah. And the past always revisits, no matter how much they say, oh, we've taken care of it. That can never happen again. You can rest assured that any bureaucrat or politician that says we've taken care of it has no clue what they're saying. Well, no, I think that I'm saying that nice way. Yeah, it's true. They did take care of it. They took care of screwing it up, John. That's (laughs) what they meant. That's what they meant for sure, because they couldn't possibly mean that they fixed anything. They don't know how to do that. So, yeah. So, you know, protect yourself, make sure you've got enough cushion, but I highly recommend diversification. And for my dollar right now, what I'm seeing in the markets and what I've experienced in life, if I had a choice between real estate and the stock market, I'd be looking very heavily at real estate. And as Ron knows, I just invested heavily in South Carolina. That's how sure I was of real estate. Yeah. I mean, I think we talk on this show, this is the Get Real podcast. And it's one thing to talk about what people should do. It's another thing to talk about it and then actually be doing it. And I know for a fact that John is buying real estate. I'm buying real estate. And I know for a fact, Heather's buying real estate. Mm -hmm. We're all buying real estate. You know, we're just making sure that it cash flows, you know, and that we're not over leveraged. And time, I'm telling you that if you don't get so hyper focused on the cash flow, make sure it cash flows and it cash flows well. But if you don't get so hyper focused on the cash flow, four returns yeah. with time is, I'm telling you, just wait and watch what happens. It's almost unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. What happens? Yeah, yeah it is. I was just talking to one of our team members who bought her first property, right? Because we encouraged all of our staff to buy property. And she said to me, I just was looking over my numbers with my sister and I just can't believe it. (laughs) 
she's like, it's amazing. And how little I invested and how much is coming in every month. And she's, and then that's not even adding in all the rates of return, right? So it is exciting. And it's, it's exciting to be able to use resources that are by and large untapped. And one thing I was going to add, John, is that most of the people, when I talk to them and I, I say, okay, how much money do you have in stock? Entering in all their data and information. I say, how's it performing? And I would say most of the time they're like, oh, I mean, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I'm like, what's your rate of return? They usually don't know. And I think no. it's the statements difficult to read, understanding exactly how well your account is performing. They assume watching the news, maybe that it's killing it, right? <laughs> but yeah, right. they don't really know. The last people they should be listening to about their investment portfolio. Yes. Because yes. Yeah, we even did. news people in, on business news don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> I remember I remember doing slides with the with the uh the news uh like the like screenshots of the news and just how in like time do you remember those we did them in like a time to steal yeah. and just how completely wrong they were about the real <laughs> estate market I mean it was if I were any of them I would have quit I literally would have quit I remember in 2006 which was the dot com bubble and 2004 to 2006. And there was also one in, there was actually one in 2000. Actually, let me go back to the 2001. It's more fun. So there was a bubble, a dot-com bubble in 2000. And I remember seeing the cover of Time, Newsweek, and, and US News and Report, uh, and, and some business journals, including Forbes, by the way, which is usually pretty reliable. And, and where they said the Dow is going to be at 10 and, and NASDAQ at 5,000 and, um, you know, touting how well the markets were doing and how they were all going to go above <laughs> these landmarks of 10 and 5. And at the time, the market, at the time, the Dow was probably about, I don't know, 9,000 to 9,500. And the NASDAQ was at 4,000 to 4,500. And I saw in the same week, all of these publications printed. And I immediately called because I was a broker at the time. I immediately called all my clients and said, sell, get out of the market. The press, <laughs> the press is touting that the market's going up. And within weeks, the both the NASDAQ and Dow got slaughtered. Like the Dow went down to six. It's almost, oh it's gosh. almost like, I don't know what's worse, John, the government or the media. I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> yeah. Like they, well, you know, they feed off each other. They're like, yeah, and that's, and that's the problem. It's like other. they switch places. Like who's the most incompetent of the two, right? They kind of switch places. It's just, it's either the government's number one or the media's number one. It depends on the week, depends yeah. on the week, you know, and what they've screwed up this week, but they guarantee they're going to screw something up this week. Yeah. They do nearly every week. So even when they're on vacation, somehow they figure out how to screw stuff up. I don't I, know how they do it. I know. Or when they're on child leave. Yeah. Well, I know the big takeaway for me today um, was that cool deal about, yeah. the, about the loans. I had no really idea cool. about that. And let me just, I'm just going to reiterate. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this business. Yeah. There's always something to learn about how this works. And the cool thing is that every time I learn something, it's just better than it was before. Yeah, it's true. So, John, I appreciate it, man. Hey, it was my worth pleasure. the uh, price of admission. 
<laughs> well, we, we will. Well, you know what the price of admission is? It's probably at Halls. Yes, right. <laughs> Bring it, buddy. Just let me know. I think I need maybe two months in advance to get into yeah, Halls. But let me know two months in advance and we'll make it happen, buddy. You got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. We'll do this again really soon. Uh, okay. Thanks, John. Stay, uh, keep your head above water and keep laughing at these people. that's all you can do is just live your life and laugh at them yeah all right well listen everybody i hope you guys learned a ton i know heather and i did and Mm -hmm. man i think there's plenty of things that we can act on so if you've been sitting around waiting trying to figure out what to do hopefully something in this episode moves you to take some action because that's what you really should be doing so until next time get out there and make something happen thanks guys thanks this has been the get real podcast To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to GetRealEstateSuccess.com.